Welcome to Top Dog Podcast. I'm Katja. And I'm Adrian. Hello. And now that we've got your attention, all we can say is sit and stay. Because we meet people who love their dogs just like you. And they do amazing things. And they have great ideas. And the best thing is that these people, with their ideas and their doing, probably make your life and your dog's life much better. So, all we can say now, Katja, is unleash the dogs or the people that we want to talk to. This program is rated D for dog. It contains sniffing, scratching and doggy things. My office is my home. Blokey poodles. Kawaii inu desu. Which means auto spoto challenge in Japanese. And of course, Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge. The Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge is a challenge for all the dogs in this world. Who can say it? Who can say Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge? Then Katya, you're not able to say it, and I'm not able to say it. I might have said it now, but I'm not really saying it properly. But we know there is a dog out there in this world that can say it. And if yes, it'll be the winner. What can you win? You can win one of our test products when we're done with them. Of course, not when we've eaten the food, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say... Maybe the Leica ball. <laughs> <laughs> or we invite a dog into our show and have a conversation with it. What about that? That sounds good. I hope they can fly all the way to Melbourne in Australia. But last time we had decided that we, we actually want to give a chance to everybody in this world, but not only dogs, cats can come as well, or dragons, or elephants, or snakes. Whoever is able to say Top Dog Hotspot Challenge is invited. The dragons can fly themselves. For today, we have a soft heart, you and I. Katja, because Adam has asked us if he could try it again. We had him a few episodes before and his doctors would not say it. And Adam was very persistent. He would not give up and he still hasn't given up. So we let him try again today, won't we? I think he deserves a, a second chance because one could really hear he was determined. So we we'll let him have another crack at it. But First, we have the odd spots, which are stories that make you laugh, cry, or inspire. So maybe we can start with a story that is a bit sentimental, maybe, and inspiring. And the story comes from Turkey. There is a pharmacist called Bano Cengiz, and she has a soft spot for dogs. So she looks after the street dogs that come for water and food to her pharmacy. And one day there was actually a dog outside that demanded help. She stared at Genghis and uh, held up the paw and went like, okay, hang on, something is wrong here. So when Genghis had a look. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Hello, Bing Bing. <laughs> Look at me, look at me, look at me. So when Genghis had a look at it, she realized that the dog was hurt on her paw uh, and, of course, attended to it, cleaned it and put bandages around it. So it's uh, obviously a, hmm, how shall we call it, uh, a well-known secret in dog's world that you can go to Banu Genghis Pharmacy and get treatment. So that will probably be the new uh, dog hospital of the future. 
<laughs> well, that's amazing. That sort of sort of tells you that uh, dogs are do actually communicate with each other. They tell each other the best spots where to go, where to get the best food, where to get the best love, where to get the best treatment when you're sick. Well, the pharmacy seems like a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> a not so good spot is um, being trapped in the bumper of a car. Oh, of course not. Why <laughs> would you say that anyway? <laughs> Uh, a poor little dog discovered that uh, the painful way because um, a, a man in China accidentally hit the dog, didn't realize that he had, um, well, kind of captured the dog in his bumper. Uh, he basically thought the dog… Are you saying that he actually drove over the dog? He, he hit the dog with his car and the dog got trapped yeah. under the car? Yes, in the bumper, and the man didn't realize it and drove 200 miles or over 300 kilometers. And when he heard a yelping noise from the front of the car and then stopped and then realized the dog was actually trapped oh in, my in God. the bumper. Oh, my God. Luckily, he heard mm. the yelping because uh, normally you listen to all these funny sounds in your car that, that are not familiar, and then you sort of start to fret that something's broken but hearing it yelping i probably wouldn't stop i would think i'm just crazy <laughs> you're hearing things it's the radio <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he he drove another maybe 40 miles uh, so that brings the total up to close to 400 k's to the vet to get the poor dog actually out of there <laughs> right and was the dog injured no, luckily the dog was saved. It was was completely yeah. They could get him out, and he was not harmed. And so yeah, the owner then just probably decided, uh, okay, this guy had a hard hard time. I'm going to keep him. All right, so he's got a new friend now. Yes, a well traveled friend. <laughs> <laughs> really well traveled. Awful story for starters, but then luckily it has a happy end. We like happy endings. Yeah. And I hope that this dog has become such a good friend that he takes him to work as well, if he can, because not everybody can do that. But uh, he might be able, in future, he might be able to, because uh, the trend that you can take your dog to work is rising, is becoming bigger and bigger worldwide. Not long ago, we had uh, the Take Your Dog to Work Day. Have you ever heard about that one, Katia? No, I haven't. But um, So how long has that been going for? Uh, for about 10 years, I would say. Wow. It was created to encourage businesses to allow dogs in the workplace and, of course, to celebrate the great companions dogs make. And as I said, it's rising. The trend is rising in the US, in, in uh, England, in Canada, even in Australia. And people say when you take the dog to work, it's a benefit for, for many for yourself, for the dog, for your employer, for your work colleagues, for everybody. Mm -hmm. But apart from the benefits, I guess there's also um, some things to consider and to plan before you take your dog with you to work. Yes, of course, you have to consider. I mean, you have to have the right environment. You have to ask your work colleagues, are you okay if I take my dog with you? And, of course, the employer has to uh, say yes to it. And there are lots of things to consider. So many things, actually, that it's written in a book. And that book wrote Steph Rousseau. She uh, is from Dublin in Ireland. She was a dog behaviorist. or well, she still is, but she's not practicing anymore. She's concentrating 
on the fact that she is um, advising companies what to do if they want to allow their employees to take their dogs to work. So she wrote this book. It's called Office Dog, The Manual. And I caught up with Steph Rousseau in Dublin. Steph, what is the manual about? The manual is really about how people can make sure that bringing their dogs to the workplace works really well for the people and the dogs. And I think what sort of got me interested in this was when I was working in London as a dog trainer, I was meeting a lot of people who were bringing their dogs to work. And often it actually wasn't working that well, even though on paper you'd kind of expect that it would work really well because there's so many advantages to be gained for everyone. The dogs aren't left home alone. There's lots of studies that show how much it should be benefiting people. But a lot of the dogs were actually showing some problem behaviours. And when I started meeting with these people and sort of talking through what was happening, I began to sort of see where the problems were. So what I was hoping to do was provide a resource for people so that they could get everything right from the start and make sure that the dogs were sort of quite happy and relaxed and that everyone knew what to expect and that all their colleagues were on board and that the experience would be a success really. Are you saying that you did the study yourself or did you sort of uh, draw on, on studies, different studies from the outside that say it's actually of benefit to have a dog in your workplace? No, those studies had been done. They were sort of proper peer-reviewed studies. Um, I did a little bit of extra sort of investigative work around people's views of having dogs in the workplace. Um, but there has been lots of, of research done by universities and by academics looking at the advantages of having pets specifically in the workplace and then just more generally about the sort of anti-stress effects of having dogs around whether it's in the workplace or at home so those studies had been done and I just in my book I touch on them in the first chapter when I'm talking about how you can maybe convince your colleagues or talk to your boss or, or raise the issue um, and then as I said I did some some of my own research around people's attitudes and what would what would make people feel happier about having dogs in the workplace. There are benefits of taking your dog to work. So can we go through that um, for everybody involved? So what are the benefits of taking a dog to work? What are the, are the benefits for the employer, your work colleagues, for yourself and for your dog? Okay, so as you've put it there, there are three different kind of groups who can benefit. And as you say, those are the employees, the the employers and the dog. So for the employers who are thinking of maybe having a dog-friendly workplace, the big benefits for them is that they can see an increase in employee productivity, which I think every business wants. They'll have reduced stress-related absenteeism from their staff, which is also really good, and enhanced recruitment, so people are quite keen to work for places that allow dogs, and also improved staff retention. Once people start working somewhere where they can bring their dog, they're kind of less likely to leave because they don't want to lose that it's still a reasonably unusual perk, so it can give companies that edge. For the staff who who are sharing their workplaces with dogs, they show a reduced level of stress, increased job satisfaction, lowered blood pressure in stressful situations, increased social interaction and increased cohesion and teamwork and improved mood. So that's that's all great for the staff. And then for the dogs, I suppose the big thing for dogs is that a lot of 
certainly urban dogs spend a lot of their time in social isolation when their humans go to work. So people commute further and they often work longer hours. And a lot of people just have single dogs. So a lot of those dogs are sort of left at home for 10 hours a day on their own. And for a social species like the dog, that's really, really tough. So if people can bring their dogs to work, for, for most dogs, that's a really that's a really great welfare improvement because they're not spending all that time alone, which is so at odds with what they would naturally do. And of course, they're experiencing new environments. It's, it's something a bit different. And they're interacting with with probably with definitely humans and possibly other dogs. So those those are the advantages for for the dogs and the humans. The book, you called it yourself, The Manual, which uh, suggests to me that it's a hands-on book. It gives me practical tips or advice what I have to do when I want to take my dog to work. So if you just give us maybe one or two examples of a practical advice, what do I have to look at when I want to take my dog to work? Yeah, it is a manual, and I suppose there's lots of different aspects of that in the book. So the first one, as I mentioned there, is the how-to of how to make the case for having your dog in, in work, which we've spoken about. Let's assume we have made that case, so the employer and my work colleagues are, yeah, they are prepared for me to take my dog. So what do I do my first step? Your first step then, I suppose, is to look at how you can meet your dog's needs in the work environment, because obviously there's lots of things that are, are going to be quite different from having a day at home. So one chapter in the book is all about what your dog's needs actually are, which I know can seem quite obvious, but I know from my work that often people haven't really thought about what their dog's needs are and how they can meet them in different situations. So things like making sure your dog is still getting enough sleep because dogs need an awful lot more sleep than we do. So if your dog is on the go for... And they can claim it and they will get it <laughs> compared to us humans. Yes, exactly. But if you've got a really busy workplace and there's people coming in and out and talking to the dog and it's all go, dogs usually get around 40% of their sleep during the day. And if you've got a really busy office and really enthusiastic colleagues, there's a good chance the dog's not going to get that. And if dogs aren't getting enough sleep, they can get quite sort of restless and find it difficult to settle, which isn't going to really go down very well in a workplace. So that's the sort of thing I'd be mentioning around sleep. Things like making sure the dog has enough opportunities to go to the toilet. Because again, if there's something quite exciting and new going on, the dog is likely to want to go to the toilet more often because they'll have all those sort of excitement hormones in their system. And they might know where to go in this new environment. So thinking about how you're going to manage that. Thinking about the social contact, because obviously that's the big pro for dogs in a way, is that they're getting that social contact. But on the other hand, often the people who most love dogs are the people who interact most inappropriately with them. They'll sort of tower over them and sort of get all squeaky and excitable. And a lot of dogs don't really like that. It can be a bit intimidating. So thinking about how you're going to make sure the dog has enough time out, thinking about if you can maybe talk to your colleagues about ways that your dog likes to be interacted with, sort of keeping things nice and calm. And then thinking about how you're going to provide enough diversion for them so that they're not bored, but that you're not going to get them totally wound up. So one of the things I talk about in the book is keeping your focus on, on activities that are going to tire them out in quite a calm way. So a lot of people who I've met in the past who bring their dogs to work think what they really need to do for that half hour at lunchtime is to bring the dog out for a run or to play fetch. So you've got a dog who's already had quite a lot going on and then they're being brought out for 
half an hour of this really intense adrenalizing activity and then they're back into the office again for for all of that so one of the things that I encourage in the book is for people to look at different ways of providing them with that entertainment and diversion that's not going to leave them all sort of buzzing and full of adrenaline I also talk about people giving their dogs choices and again that can be around interactions with people not forcing them to interact with everyone who comes into the office letting them choose where they want to be and where they want to sleep and um, so those things can all help keep the dog I suppose quite relaxed and calm. Now did you only address the individual office worker who takes his or her dog and they're the only ones taking their dogs or do you, did you consider other office workers as well that they take their dogs to work so let's say it's a place where there are maybe three or four dogs that would be a different environment for the single for the individual dog wouldn't it i mean there would have to be some certain rules in order to keep them calm because i can imagine that when there are three or four dogs in the office there would be it's like a playground yeah and that is something else I talk about. And again, I suppose often the most important thing is how you start that off. So how you have your introductions, how you maybe don't suddenly go from, say, just having one dog in there to having two dogs in there full time. So how you can you can integrate dogs a little bit more slowly and then using things like barriers. So if you've got a dog that's sort of gets very excited as soon as they see another dog, what you can do to sort of manage that. Um, and some companies have got, one of, one of the American companies I spoke to when I was doing research had different rules on different floors. So you had floors where the dogs could only be on lead. So if you knew you had a dog who'd go berserk as soon as any other dog came over, you could at least be in a place where that wasn't going to happen, where you weren't going to be accosted by off-lead dogs. And then they had floors where the dogs could be off-lead for dogs who were quite sort of calm and relaxed. And then another company I spoke to in America had these brilliant pods for people. So they had, it was like, it was like a big wooden box really. And the person and the dog could be in there together. So the dogs weren't having all that sort of intensity of being together all the time. And they had that division. So I think using using that sort of visual barrier and physical barrier can be quite useful if you've got a lot of dogs around and if they're quite mixed in temperament. So to write a book like yours, Office Dogs, the manual, means there is a need or there is demand for it. Does it mean there is a trend in, uh, like, I don't know, in England or in the USA that more and more people are actually allowed to take their dogs to work and more employers are allowing it that that does seem to be what's happening and i suppose what's pushing that is the fact that millennials who are the generation who are beginning to dominate the workforce they're more likely to have pets than any other generation and they're less likely to sort of be married and having children so in a way i think this sort of facilitating dogs is a little bit like this sort of childcare issue that that there always was and Purina have actually done quite a bit of research into how many companies are allowing pets in the workplace. And across Europe, it's around 20 percent. Um, I think in America, it's around 8 percent. I'm not sure what the statistics are in Australia, um, but it, it is happening and it seems to be growing. And I've been really surprised the sort of places where dogs have, have cropped up in industries that you would think, oh, you'd never bring a dog in there. I've met a couple of dogs or people who brought their dogs to archives and libraries, sort of places where you'd think, 
They'd never be allowed in. Um, people working in PR companies, people working as architects. It's, it can it can work across a really wide range of, of industries. And I think so long as people can sort of think it through and figure out what the issues and challenges will be and put things in place, there's no reason really why it wouldn't work pretty much everywhere, I think. And um, I haven't come across any industry where you think, oh, gosh, definitely not, never. Um, so I do yeah. think it's going to increase. And I think it's really important that while it's increasing, that the welfare of the dog is always paramount in those plans. Because I think a lot of the time when when people think about things that are dog friendly, they're not actually that dog friendly. They're dog owner friendly. Dog friendly often just means dogs allowed. But I think for a dog to integrate into a very human environment like the workplace, you've you've got to think of the dog and actually actually make it dog friendly rather than just dogs allowed. My last question before we uh, terminate our conversation is. Um have you got a nice story maybe about uh, an office dog sort of uh, what, it, what it has done to the workplace or to the employer or something? yeah i have i've actually got lots of nice stories but my favorite one about a dog here in ireland and he was he was a foster dog and he was he was almost entirely blind and because he was blind he was actually quite fearful so his foster mother um, was had been a client yeah. of mine with a previous dog and she called me and she said look I don't know what to do because the only way that she did work in a dog friendly office she said the only way I can get him to the office is to walk through town with him and because he was nearly blind that could be really frightening and she said but if I leave him at home he gets really distressed so she didn't really know what to do that would that would be the best for the dog so what we were able to do there was sort of think about the journey because that was the real challenge was how she was going to get him in. And we were able to put some contingencies in place to take the difficulty out of the journey. So we looked at breaking up the walk. So he got to do stages of the walk into work in different different bits. So he didn't suddenly have to do the whole journey through town. And we looked at ensuring that the first few times he made the journey that both his both of his owners, his mum and his dad, were both there. So one could act as a barrier. If there were people coming towards him, they could sort of block and make it a bit easier. And they could help him upstairs because he wasn't that comfortable with stairs. And they didn't attempt to do that trip with just one of them until he was quite confident about it. They planned a route that had as little traffic as possible and as many green places. So in between the journey, he had times when he could just sort of chill out and sniff and be somewhere that felt quite safe. And they taught him cues like careful to let him know if he was getting too close to something that he could walk into or to sort of tap him on the shoulder to direct him which way he should go. And once he could get past that journey, he actually loved being in the office and he could hear he could hear a crinkling crisp bag down the corridor, even though he couldn't see. And he used to have a nice little afternoon ritual in the office when he'd have um a little afternoon tea, he'd have a treat when the humans were having their tea and coffee. There was another dog there who he got on very well with, an older dog who was quite calm. And it just it just really changed his life. Instead of being at home and fretting, he had a journey he could cope with and an environment that really worked for him. Um, and I just think it goes to show how little changes can really be the difference between going to work, working for a dog 
and not working mm. because if they just tried to bring him from nowhere, he would have arrived in the office in a terrible state and he probably would have hated it. But because they could foresee what his issues would be and plan around them, he ended up having a really positive experience. It is definitely another one of those millions of stories of uh, what uh, fantastic beings and great companions dogs are. Steve Rousseau, thank you very much. I'm convinced that your manual has the potential to become the Bible of, of office dogs, how to treat office dogs and how to introduce a dog to become an office dog. Anyway, I wish you all the best with your book. Thank you very much. Okay, thank take you. care. Bye-bye. That was Steph Rousseau. She wrote a book called Office Dog, The Manual. And you can buy that book on her website, happyofficedogs.com, and there you find more information as well. Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge. So um, now I think it is time to check on Adam, how he is doing, if we have any progress. So, Adam. Aji, say Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge. Aji, please, top dog hotspot challenge. Oh, oh no. no. Yeah. Well, oh, come on. We give him one very last chance at the end of the episode. If he's still at it, we'll give him a very, very last chance. Okay? Yes, I think that's fair. All right, good. Now let's go to another kind of dogs that don't speak, but they speak to your heart. My top dog. I've got again two dogs today, Katya, two black little poodles. They are with Alessandro, but they don't belong to him. They actually belong to his mother, but he looks after them every now and then. And it's just funny because Alessandro, he's tall. He's a Aussie bloke. And can you imagine... Have seen an Aussie blog with two little boodle, poodles coming along. <laughs> That's definitely a good look. Yeah, he does that. And um, well, his poodles are my top dogs of the week. Hi, Alessandro. Good afternoon. How are you? Well, it's a bit more than afternoon. It's nearly dark. Early evening. And what we are doing is probably a bit dangerous because we actually ride in the middle of a bush, <laughs> or the bush. Luckily, I know the way. Yeah, I'm already lost. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got two dogs with you, two yep. little poodles, um, but you're not the owner. What are you to them? I am the, maybe I'm the son-in-law slash caretaker babysitter for the two, two young poodles old poodles actually they're 68 years old and um, they need all the help that they can get <laughs> okay, hang on 68 years in human years yeah in uh, dog years but well, yeah but human not... dog years yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and so how come you're the babysitter why do you babysitting them um well they've been in in my life for ages they're mum and dad's dogs but they're lucky enough to go on a holiday so I'm lucky enough to have the company of the lovely dogs for a few months while they're gone. And, um, yeah, it hasn't been the first time I've had to babysit them, but it's always a pleasure. 
because they're full of laughs. And um, yeah, there's lots of personality for the little dogs. They're also very grumpy, but then they have their young springy, springy times as well. They're um, they're little four-legged hairy children. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you are a real Aussie, real tall. Aussie. Yeah, you're tall, young, <laughs> and we have sort of cliche that a real Aussie guy like you has a, a kelpie or a border collie <laughs> or you know a blue healer but two black little poodles with a red coat on it that's a bit <laughs> yeah. unusual do people ever look in a funny way at you when you um, go for a walk with them yeah quite a bit especially because um, usually when I take them for walks when I'm working I'm still in all of my work clothes so There's a big, tall, uh, Aussie-looking guy in high-vis jackets uh, in the park in the city where everybody else is looking pretty, pretty yuppy with bigger dogs than mine, and then I come over to the park with the yuppy dogs, so it does turn a few heads, but um, I like it. Yeah, so how do you deal with it? Um, I kind of just, we don't, we don't really, well, you know, these two poodles don't really pay much attention to other dogs. So I guess I don't pay much attention to other dog owners very much. <laughs> it kind of works well. We keep to ourselves. Could you imagine having another dog, or do you wish having a different dog, like a you know a more blokey dog? If I ever had the space, um, you know, like if I lived somewhere where you guys live and I had a big place for them to run around, I'd definitely consider getting another dog. But if I live, don't in say, city, don't say too loud because the two dogs are right behind yeah, you. They might hear. Sorry, you, we haven't introduced them yet. Chad and Hugo. Oh, there we go. Chad and Hugo. They're oh, the, brothers. Ah, uh-huh, I see. Yeah. So you would have a different dog. Um. Yeah, I reckon I would. Just to mix it up a little. We used to before these guys. We had. Oh, we had their mother, Roxy. And uh, my mum, Shauna, um, actually delivered Chad and Hugo at the old house in, um, in the city. So that's probably why they think they're humans, actually, because the first person they saw was mum. And she actually kind of... Sorry, mum, but they do say owners look like their dogs sometimes, so maybe that's where the confusion was. So most owners, they buy their dog and their puppy when they're like eight or ten or twelve weeks old and that doesn't happen very often that you actually have the dog from the very first second of their life uh, what difference does that make to you how what do you feel what do you feel like about it um, knowing them since the first second of their life well i'm not sure i guess you have a you because when puppies are first born they can't see so it takes a little while for them to get their vision. So I guess it's just a different kind of puppy at the start. You know, it's really, you've really got to look after them because they can't really see. But also they did have their mother, Roxy, the the old school poodle who isn't any, with us any longer. But so I guess, you know, with mum looking after them and, the, and um, their mum looking after them, they were pretty well taken care of. I mean, I was a, how old would I have been? I would have been young 20s, so I guess I was also not not the best father. I was out <laughs> partying a lot then. So, yeah. <laughs> so. okay. Can you tell us um, any weird story or funny story or tragic story about the poodles? Oh, 
I have to know. dig deep. I do remember the one I told you at lunchtime when um another time when I had finished work and I had a big beard and a missing front tooth and I was in all my work clothes and I had a big glass of wine down at the park with me and um we cuz we kind of keep to ourselves um I noticed there was a a gay couple at the park with their baby uh sorry their puppy beagle who was a ball full of energy just running around everywhere like doing circles around my dogs and as I said before our dogs kind of aren't really interested in other puppies but um Hugo after a little bit of persuasion um kind of showed a little bit of interest to this beagle puppy and uh couldn't resist trying to hump it at any any chance he had which um I thought was absolutely hilarious but the the other couple weren't <laughs> weren't as entertained by the fact but um when I approached him I was like kind of still giggling and I made a comment I was like oh hey guys it looks like my dog really 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 likes your dog and um they kind of got a little bit I don't know intimidated maybe and they kind of picked up their dog and didn't really say anything and walked out of the park so I yeah. thought that was really funny or maybe they thought this is uh, an old pickup line yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay. probably I didn't take that into account at all <laughs> okay now it's getting dark jesus we're still in the bush and we just uh, walk and chat and don't realize that it actually is getting really dark so if you got lost in here do you think your poodles will find their way out no i think all three of us would be spending the night in the bush <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, think i think i'd be able to find our way out but yeah. the poodles have kind of lost their sense of direction but also they're in totally unfamiliar territory right. but i mean this guy looks like he's hugo's about five meters in front of us right now it looks like he's taking charge oh Oh, well, let's follow him then. <laughs> and see, uh, see where we end up. If I can't see you anymore, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and um, thanks, Alessandro. Thanks for having me. Top Dog Odd Spot Challenge. We are going now for the very last time, I'm very sorry to say, for the very last time, give Adam another chance at the Top Dog Hotspot Challenge. And I have to say this slowly so I can actually get it out. I have the feeling that maybe the problem is that the dog doesn't understand English. Maybe that makes a difference. Right. Did you tell him? Yeah, let's um, get Adam to try this in Japanese. Good luck. Kampatte kudasai. Tapu dogu kimyona basho. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Finally! Finally! Oh my god! It doesn't sound different. Uh, dogs don't have an international <laughs> language. When they bark, it just sounds like a bark. It's not Japanese or English or German. But definitely, the cue had to be in Japanese. Yeah. Excellent.
So now we can tell Adam, just keep practicing. Now that, that his dog is actually speaking or talking, maybe in a year's time he will be able to say top dog hotspot challenge. Well, then we'll cross back to Japan and see if it's any better. But we do give everybody and every dog and I guess any other animal a chance. So if you would like your pet to participate, drop us an email, woofwoof at topdog.space. And that's the end of the show. But Katja, one last question. If a dogman falls pregnant, do you think that dogman should tell her dog that she's pregnant? Ooh, I think... Yes, because that might be a very traumatic experience for the dog. Yes, you're right. And I think everybody knows that, but not everybody is aware of the importance to actually involve your dog in family business. Dr. Lewis Kirkham, he's a veterinarian in Melbourne. He's written a book, Tell Your Dog You're Pregnant. It's an essential guide for dog owners who are expecting a baby. And that's what he has to say. One of the reasons I wrote the book is to, to help people to be aware of their dog and perhaps the dog's um, body language um, and monitoring that um, before the baby arrives so they can do something about it so that when when uh, when those situations perhaps arise, when the baby is in the house, they're prepared for it and they've already prepared the dog as to what needs to happen. Mm. Yeah, so, well, essentially um, the, the book, uh, well, the CDE works. Um, it's got a, um, when my first daughter was born, I actually followed her and my wife around for about six months recording all her sounds that, that she made. And so that went on to the CD. So the CD... Um, the is, sound of the baby. Yeah, the sound oh, of my, my daughter. Yeah, yeah, her okay. sounds. So um, it's uh, all different Did sounds. Did you have her consent? I mean, now she is a famous voiceover artist. Well, well that's yeah. right. I'm worried about the royalty aspects. Yeah, we might discuss that when she turns 18. I'm not sure. Okay. So, yeah, obviously I recorded her sounds. And so the CD is, is 13 sounds of all different baby noises. You know, a common recommendation, I think, that's sort of over the internet and uh, and perhaps in vet clinics and trainers is to say, I'll oh, play a screaming baby noise. Well, if you've had children, you know that children don't just scream all the time. They giggle, they laugh, they burp, they splash in the bath and that's where the idea of the cd came around is there are a lot of dogs that uh that just never heard those noises before um and the book goes through in one of the chapters about how to use the sounds properly and how to desensitize the dog and make it a good experience for the dog you don't just play the sounds at a high volume and then expect the dog to get used to it you you start at a very low volume and you associate it with something fun happening or you teach the dog where you want them to be at that time. So maybe track number four is the nursing track where mum's nursing the baby. Where do you want your dog to be at that time? Well, if the dog's normally on your lap, when you, when you sit down, you can't really have a baby in a lap, uh, mm. a, a great Dane in your lap maybe and and, <laughs> and, and a baby. Good try. Yeah, you, and a baby and, and nursing. So where do you want that dog to be? Maybe you want it on a mat. You know, that's right at your feet. So you start training it when that sound occurs that you, you give it some treats and associate with going onto that map. Dr. Louis Kirkham with his book, Tell Your Dog You're Pregnant, in our next episode of Top Dog Podcast. I'm looking forward to that one, Katja. Me too. Maybe I'll get a chance to tell my dog I'm pregnant. <laughs> I could pretend, no. Anyway, if you liked our podcast, please let us know and leave a comment. And tell your friends about our podcast. Tell your family, tell your employer or people you meet on Dog Walk. And hear us on topdog.space or on any podcast platform. Hope we hear from each other again. Take care. I'm Katja. 
I'm Adrian. Say hello to your dog from me. Hey, hang on. This is my line. Oh, sorry. 